Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Whoops. Am I on? Am I on? Am I I'm on? Yeah, am I on? I'm good. I'm not on. Now I'm on? Testing. One, two, three. Testing. Testing. One, two. Am I being recorded? There we are. Ah, there we are. Thank you, my friend. All right. So, good morning, everybody. How are we? Wow, you're almost like the 1050. Usually when I give the 9 o'clock a chance to chat, it's like a wave and that's all she wrote. 1050 is the one I have to go down and lasso everybody and put them back in their seats. It's crazy. All right. So, I love the simplicity of the songs we just sang. I love them because although when we hear them intellectually, when we hear them, we do, you know, you heard me pray, you know, we, we almost think, well, that's such a child, like a childish song. And I would say, no, it's a childlike song. And there's a difference between being childish and being childlike. Childish is this refusal to take responsibility, to mature, to deepen, to grow. Being childlike is an expression of humility. It's a recognition of a father's love. It's a, it's a being willing to be in a position where we are willing to learn and to grow. And what Jesus said is the kingdom of heaven are for those such as these, those who are childlike. And, I, and I'll go to these two songs. You're a good father, right? And the second is like it. Jesus loves me. And the idea that it's the scriptures that tell us that truth. The idea that God continues to repeat it. Now, I, I'll use an example. I, was, we had, um, I had the privilege of, of uh, uh, having a, a really uh, active day yesterday. So I got up in the morning, spent some time in my quiet time, got to have coffee with my wife, and then I hung out with 15 or so men, and we talked about what it is to be responsible men and, and really challenge each other and sharpen each other. And then I get, had the privilege of performing a wedding ceremony for two people I dearly love and care for. And then from there, I went into to home to prepare a dinner for the family that was coming because we had a birthday this weekend and our oldest granddaughter had her birthday party. And so we had the two little ones. It was one, did you ever have one of those days? And so when Sarah showed up with her boys, uh, her youngest boy, Kit, uh, is really funny. So if, when I tell Morgan, the oldest, am I going in and out? I wonder what the deal is here. Hello, testing, testing. Sounds like a bad mic connection. And that's no bueno. Ah, do I have to stand at the thing? Am I going to have to do that today? Yeah, but they have to be able to hear me online. You, you want, should we try using this one over here? So it's consistent? Why don't we? Ah. Oh, anybody ever feel like somebody just put a shackle on you? Ugh. I am shackled. All right, so I'm going to leave this one on unless it's interfering, and then we'll also use this one. Oh, you can hear it fine online? Never mind. The, my great technician says, we can hear you fine online. Okay, so here we go. So where was I? Oh, so when I tell my oldest grandchild, Morgan, that I love him, he goes, I love you too, Pop. When I tell Kit, his younger brother, I love him, he goes, I know. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you know? He goes, you tell me all the time. Well, I do love you. I know, Pop. Do you love me? Yes. I love you a lot, Kit. I know. Do you love me a lot or a little? A little. 
a little, I love you a lot. Well, a little. Why do I tell my grandchildren that I love them? And I tell them all the time. Why do I tell my children that I love them? And I tell them all the time. Why do I tell my wife that I love her? And I tell her all the time. Why do I do that? Because I want them to know. I don't want them ever to doubt it. I want it for whatever reason we're separated for good or my time comes and I am but a memory that the words that echo in their hearts is I love you. I love you. Jesus tells us he loves us because sometimes we forget. And though we love, he loves us a lot, sometimes we just love him a little. Even though we love him a lot, sometimes it's hard to believe. It's hard to express. It's hard to trust. Anybody? Right? And so when we are reminded that our father is a good father, that's directly out of the scriptures. When we are reminded that Jesus loves us, it is the Bible that tells us so. And what God longs for us to do every morning is first to experience his sunrise, or perhaps even earlier, the stars still cascading, right? And then the coming of the dawn. There is God's wink and smile to remind us that he's there and he's sovereign, he's in control, and his providence is evident in his provision for the day to accomplish his plan in the world, among his children, and through each one of us. Then he says, join me in my word for a moment. As much as you got my wink and smile this morning, I want to remind you of something. I am a good father, and I love you very much. And we just need to be reminded of that. I wonder sometimes if the confidence two people have with one, of one another in a relationship has much to do with how often they express their love for one another. How often. That we don't take it for granted. That we don't assume. That we don't think, well, they know. They know. Anybody? There is nothing like being told and shown and expressed. Especially when, for whatever reason, our hearts least believe it. When we, for some reason, wonder and we doubt. And then we, what we need to be reminded of by his word, that he is the only one who can love us perfectly. And he does love us perfectly. And his love actually supersedes any other love that, for whatever reason, might be waning or might be struggling or might be distant or might be held back. And so we need to lean into this good father who revealed his love to us through his son and declares to us that he loves us by the giving of his son. That's First John. And that Jesus does love us and he loved us enough to first wash our feet and then to die for us. And what tells us that? His word. His word. It's his love letter to us. It's the expression of his heart to us. It's the revelation of his person, purpose, and plan to us and then for us. It is his provision of himself 
to us. And for those of us who are children of that good father, who are brothers and sisters of that loving brother, who are heirs to a kingdom with a current mission in this world to be as much like Jesus as we can be, it's not only necessary to be in the word, (laughs) it's a privilege to have it and be in it, to have him speak to us. And his spirit translate it, listen to me, just to me. Although it is to all of us, and we need to celebrate together that truth, his spirit speaks it to my heart specifically. That I might know that I'm loved, affirm that I'm his child, have my, have my destiny confirmed by him. That he does have a plan and a purpose in regard to his over, overarching mission to win his children to himself. And then what my role is in it and my privilege as part of it. And then all the gifts that he's given me to accomplish it and everything else he provides and everyone else he provides to do it together. Does that make sense this morning? That's God. That's how awesome his provision is. That's how good a father he is. Mm. So, go to your notes for a moment and we'll see how far this goes today. And we're going to begin in where we ended up last week, which is in Psalm 19, but I'm hoping to transition uh, to the next daily thingy. So you guys in the 9 went a little further than we did in the 1050, uh, but uh, it bears repeating anyway. So uh, if you look at the notes, it'll be brief. Um, It says what we are to do, oh, actually, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 first, because I want us to see something that I've not emphasized up to this point and why this is so important. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, which is our anchor passage. And again, for those of us who sometimes think, oh my goodness, are we ever going to be out of 2 Peter? I'm going to tell you no, we'll probably never be out of 2 Peter. I'll probably die before we finish it. But that this is just an anchor passage, and it's led us through all of the scriptures. It's led us everywhere. And that's what's so awesome about God's word. It's not about what does 2 Peter say, although it is. It's about what does God say that's so beautifully intertwined from beginning to end. So here we go. Ready? But there's a, there's a point I want to make here that I, think, I don't think that I have thus far. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Jesus, that you would just, man, make the minutes go slower. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look what it says. It says to those through the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, and the Savior, Jesus Christ, have received, a, have been given as a gift this faith that is as precious as ours. This grace and the peace you receive in that grace between you and the Father, you and yourself, and you and others, be yours now in abundance. And through the knowledge that your experience, your relationship, your walking with God and of Jesus our Lord. It says his divine power, all that is God, has given us everything we need and it does not fall short. It is everything we need. For life in him and godliness, that is our being conformed more and more to him. And this through our experience with him, our knowledge of him, our relationship with him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through his glory and goodness, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through the promise you may participate in the divine nature. You may walk with Jesus by the Spirit as Jesus did when he walked. I can now participate in God. 
God's nature. And I can escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. I can draw my heart with the Holy Spirit away from its affection and desire for the world and point it back at God. Look at verse 5 now. It says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And then it says, add to your goodness knowledge. Now, what I, what I said last week, and it, it is true, if you understand algebra, which I don't very well, you know, if you add one thing to this and this to that and the other, the, the next thing, you're adding to the original number, not just the number previous to it. And so last week I talked about the fact that our faith is bolstered by knowledge. In other words, my experience with God, my epinosis, my experiential knowledge of God, relational knowledge with God, needs to be bolstered and confirmed by the truth of God, the word of God. And so we add to this faith we've been given, the word of God, so that we would better understand our faith. It's like knowing someone experientially, but then learning more information about them that deepens and one confirms what you know, or gives light to what you know or insight to what you know and have experienced with them and it enables you then to know them more. That's what this, we're talking about. I've had this relationship or this experience with God. It, it, there's no doubt it was an experience with God because it transforms me. But as I read his word, it gives depth and meaning and even boundaries to what that experience was. It helps explain it and confirm it and maybe help me understand why it happened and how it happened and then about the one who made it happen. Which does what? It helps me know him more, more deeply. It makes me want to know him better and understand him. That's what this does. But what I didn't do last week, that I need to do this week, that we needed to go back and take a look at this, is this. is not, yes, we're adding, we're bolstering our faith by the knowledge of God. But what I don't want us to do is skip over what Peter actually said. So my relationship with God, this faith that I now have in him and with him, right, enabled Jesus to reside in me. In other words, he took my sinful nature and replaced it with his goodness and his righteousness. That happened by faith. Boom. That was an experience I had with God. That experience then leads to goodness being in me by Christ and now coming up and out of me because Jesus is in me. Now, when I first became a Christian, I was nuts. None of you seem surprised, right? <laughs> no one here is surprised by that fact. Right? What I mean by that is the experience was so profound and the change in me was so drastic that I just, I was like giddy all the time. I was just bubbling over and I, I just did what I thought was good. I just, goodness came out of me and I can tell you it wasn't of me because that good, goodness didn't exist in me before that. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do good and sometimes did good. I did. But not this kind of good. This was like emanating. It was like, you know, like, what did Jesus say? It would be like a fountain flowing out of you. That's what it was. I couldn't stop it. Until what? Until I didn't realize that to this experiential thing I had with Jesus, I needed to begin to add to it the word of God. This goodness that came out of me needed to be bolstered, needed to be strengthened. It needed to be, it needed to be undergirded. It needed to be helped along. It needed to be given depth and wisdom and insight. I needed to do it better. As much as this good was good, there was even better good to be done. And it's the word of God that would teach me that better good. Or doing that good thing better. Or more goodly, I like to say. I love that word goodly. Does that make sense? 
And so as I got into the word of God and I began to see, I began to gain some insight and some understanding and some, 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 some depth into God and what he was trying to say to me, how this thing all works together, all of a sudden my relationship with God began to mature and deepen. I began to understand more about him and why he was asking of me the things he was asking of me or why he might be prohibiting the things he was prohibiting. And it wasn't to say, no, you can't have that, but it was to say, sweetheart, I have something better for you. And so I began to learn even more deeply, more profoundly, more explicitly, the nature of God's heart. And that his commands are actually the expression of that heart. And his no, even his no's are actually yeses. Which is why Paul could say in Corinthians, it's always yes in Christ, always. Because anything he prohibits is not to say to me no, Anthony, it's to say yes to the better thing. Isn't that fantastic? But I know that because I was in the Word of God. I didn't understand it before I began to read the Word of God. I, I was troubled by his nose and his prohibitions sometimes. I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure what he meant by certain things. I wasn't sure why certain things happened. And still, there's a mystery around so many of these. But it, I'm given insight more and more be, when I spend time in his Word because he's revealing himself to me. This is really important stuff. And I don't remember where I was going with it. So I'll, I'll go back over here. So crazy. Okay, I don't know. So the idea here is this. There is a goodness that naturally exudes from the believer because he has the spirit of God and the nature of Christ in them. But that doesn't mean that good thing we're doing will be as good as it could be. Especially as we mature and God has an expectation that we would now develop the discipline of being in his word. To, to bolster that first experiential encounter with little encounters that give us more insight. So look at the notes with me for a minute. It says, adding knowledge, wisdom, and insight and discernment to the goodness of God in me, that goodness which is the nature of Jesus in me, through faith in Jesus, and God's continued and continual gracious work in me and us. Now, I want to say that for a minute because it, I said continued work in other words, the work begun continues, but it's continual in that he never stops working. So turn to Philippians 2 with me for a minute, and we're going to look at how God's word affirms his work so that we can be sure, actually go to Philippians 1 first, that we can be sure that God is doing this work, and he didn't stop doing this work. That that first experience I had with him that certainly made me good because it imputed Christ into me, and now I act as Jesus acted by the spirit that he has given me, there is more to be had, and he's doing more work. And it isn't just that he got the work done or continued the work. It's a continual working. In other words, it's ever-present and ongoing. So look what it says here. If we look at, first, at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, what does it say? We'll go to 3 to give it context. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That goodness that is in you and rising up out of you. From the first day, that first experience we all had together, when God descended upon you, called, him, called you to himself, and Jesus removed your sinful nature and replaced it with his righteousness. That's what Paul's actually saying to the Philippians, because the Philippians are reading this, having had that work done, and Paul was with them when the work was done. So he's going, hey, remember that moment? Remember it? Oh, I remember it. And I continue to pray for you from that first moment. So stop for a minute. What is Paul trying to teach us here? What is his word trying to tell us? Go back and remember. Remember that first encounter. 
Mm. If you read through, especially the older text in the Old Testament, God continually, continually reminds the Israelites, do not forget, do not forget Egypt. Don't forget what God did. Don't forget what he did. And as, he, as you read on through the Old Testament, he continues to, to say to the Israelites, do you remember that first experience? Do you remember that first experience? Do you remember that first experience? And then each experience that came afterward, and how God continued to reveal himself to you from that first experience on to try to bolster in you a faith and trust in your heavenly father, that's what he did. And he's always done it. So what is he saying to us? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, oh, oh, do you remember that day? Oh, I do. And since that day, I don't stop thanking God for you. So we're going to practice. Let's take a moment. Close your eyes. And I want you to go back to that moment. Now, for some of us, we think, I grew up in church, and I've always known God, and I've always had a faith in God, and I get that. But I'll guarantee you that somewhere there was a moment in time when God spoke to you in a a little more profound way, that he tickled your soul in a way that just, uh, just even made you go, "Eh." I want you to go back there for a minute. And the fact is, that moment may be way past the time you prayed to receive Christ. That moment may have been five minutes ago. But what was that moment? What was that encounter? What was transformed? Now, I'm going to ask us to keep our finger here, and I'm going to take you to a verse that we haven't read in a long time as to why this is so important. And why, if we're struggling right now, remembering that moment? Why, if we're struggling, although I'm confident I had that moment, or I had that time, or I've had that encounter, or I've had that experience, I'm having difficulty remembering it now. Mm. Go back to 2 Peter 1. Look what it says. I'm going to start at verse 3 to give it context. His divine powers give me everything I need for life in Christ and to grow into the likeness of Christ and that through my relationship with him he who called me by his own glory and goodness and through these he has given us very great and precious promises so through the promise you may participate in the divine nature verse 5 for this very reason make every effort now to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness as godly character and to godliness brotherly kindness the love of the brotherhood and to brotherly kindness love Look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in ongoing and increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your what? In your relationship with God. Let's keep going. It'll keep you from being, if you have these in increasing measure, each one, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of, your experience with, in your relationship with Jesus. Verse 9. But if, you, but if anyone does not have them, in increasing measure, he is nearsighted and blind and has what? He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from his sins. He has lost sight of 
the mercy of God. He has somehow been at least to a degree disconnected from the truth of the experience he had with God. What is Peter saying to us? For us to be truly effective and productive, he's not saying you're losing your salvation and now you're not forgiven. No, you are forgiven. You've been cleansed of your sins and this by the mercy of God. In fact, by his divine power, he has done this thing. And through his glory and goodness, and he's given you great and precious promises in that thing. And now, being so grateful that it has happened, now you make every effort to add to the, your faith these things. And do so in increasing measure. Why? Because I want you to be effective. I want you to be productive. I want you to be sure. Look what it goes on to say. Look what it says now. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Not that you keep it and make it sure, but that you can be sure of it. That you are absolutely sure. You are affirmed and confirmed. And you know. Look, look what he, now look what he says. It says, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling election sure. Be all the more eager to do what I'm encouraging you to do. Be all the more eager to be effective and productive in your faith. Be all the more eager to be able to joyfully and gratefully remember. And then be able to express it to somebody who does not know. Or to somebody who does know who's struggling. Speaking the gospel in love. Look what it goes on to say. For if you do these things, you will never fall. You'll never fall. Not fall from grace in the sense you lose your salvation, but fall from effectiveness in regard to what God has for you. Look what it goes on to say now. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. A rich welcome. Not just a welcome, but a rich welcome. And you're going, well, won't everybody get a rich welcome in the kingdom of heaven? I don't know. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a minute. Go on, go on, go on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look what it, we're going to see what it looks like to not get a rich welcome. You're welcome. It ain't so rich. And this is really important, so look at it with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm a little off script today, so please forgive me. Here, are you ready? Whenever you're ready. I'm not going there without you, my friends. Okay, here we go. So we're going to start at verse 10. This is Paul speaking to Corinth. He says, by the grace God has given me, by the gifts that God has bestowed upon me, by the expression of his grace to me, that which he has apportioned to me to accomplish the work that he's made me to do. That's what all that means. Isn't that fantastic? So by the grace given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. Now, what he's speaking to are those who teach the word of God, but also those who teach themselves the word of God. So what are we adding to this foundation that's been laid? So let's look at it. Here we go. By the grace given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should be careful how he builds. Now, what we want to do here in terms of the careful how he builds is insert 2 Peter chapter 1. Bop! Because what 2 Peter chapter 1 is actually doing is teaching us how to build and what to build with and why to build it. That's why I ain't leaving 2 Peter chapter 1. Because no other scripture in all the Bible teaches us more concretely and explicitly how to build rightly. Ever. So here we go. Look what it says. So he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than one that is already laid. In other words, the person of Jesus. 
So Jesus is that foundation. And if you try to add anything to that foundation, what you've done is you've adulterated the foundation. In other words, you've, you, in the wonderful concrete and steel-laden steel concrete, you've put clay. And you've made it unstable. So look what it says here. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, that, see it's a capital D, that means the day of judgment. And this is the judgment of believers, by the way, not unbelievers. So, uh, because the day will bring it to light. If it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test, listen, the quality of each man's work. If what he builds survives, he will receive his reward, or a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Look what it goes on to say. If it is burned, he will suffer, what's that next word? He will suffer what? Loss. He himself will be what? Saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Ah, there will be those who are welcome into the kingdom, but it may not be very rich. And it has everything to do with how we add to our faith, how we build on the foundation of Christ Jesus, and that we do so in an increasing measure. It is what helps us to be affirmed. It is what grows us in our maturity. It is what enables us to become more like Jesus. It's what makes us effective, not only in our relationship with God, because we talked about this before. Is there anything worse than being intimately connected to somebody and having that relationship be strained? Is there anything worse than that? Whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's a parent and a child, whether it's a parent and a grandchild, whether it's two close friends, whether it's a working associate, there's almost nothing that is as, as paralyzing or as in, uh, inhibiting as having, being in a very close relationship with somebody and have it be deeply strained. Anybody? And so it, that relationship, while it's strained like that, is rendered what? Ineffective and unproductive. This is what Peter is saying to us. I don't want you to have the strained relationship between you and the Father. I don't want you to have a strained relationship between you and the Spirit. I don't want you to have a strained relationship between your Spirit and the Spirit in you. I don't want you to have a strained relationship with those people you walk with in the faith. He goes as far to say, I don't want you to have a strained relationship with the people you know in the world because I want you to have a good reputation in the world. Isn't that crazy? And so what he's saying to us is, I want you to be effective in your relationship, beginning with the one with God, because that's the fundamental, foundational, cornerstone relationship on which all other relationships reside and are built. And in order for us to be effective, we must be in the Word of God. We must be. We must add to that incredible experience we had with Jesus at the beginning allow the goodness that is in him to rise up and out of us and then to govern that to rein it in to give it wisdom and goodliness and rightliness we must be add to that the word of god and there's no other way to get it no other way if we skip over it nothing has a mooring the objective standard of truth that god has given us doesn't it isn't there and so all of a sudden, where we're more begins to move. And it begins to, the standard begins to change and it shifts and shakes. And God is saying, no, you, no, no. You don't need to be that way. You don't. Cling to this. So if we go on. Go back to Philippians now. 
Go eat popcorn, right? Is this making sense this morning? Is it? Hope so. All right. Philippians, go eat popcorn. That means Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I can't, I'm terrible with understanding. Like, I can't remember the orders of the Bible. I can't. So if, you, if you're here and you go, I can, right here. All right, so here we go. Look at, look at verse 3 again. So he says, now I thank God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. In my, on all my prayers for all of you, I, will, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, your love for Jesus and your desire to make him known, your love for others and your desire for them to know. From the first day until now. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That he who has done this continues to do this, listen to me, and does it continually. It doesn't stop. It isn't over. There's no gaps in it. That although I might not join him in the work and add to my faith in increasing measure to all these things, he is never not at work in me. So it started, it continues, listen to me, and it's continual, and that's really important for us to understand. And I'll explain that a little further in a moment. So look what it says in verse 6. Again. I'm confident of this, he says. From that first experience we had together and I watched you come to faith in Christ, I'm confident in this truth, that he who began this work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You can be assured of this. And Peter is saying for you to live out this assurance, for you to be able to do such a thing, this is what I want for you. Add to your faith all these things in increasing measure so that you will be effective and productive in that memory, in the present, in the present work of God, and confidence in the future work of God. Does that make sense? All right. So go to chapter 2 for a moment, and we'll, we'll talk about the continual, and then I have to call the band in place. And we didn't get anything done this morning. My goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. So look at what it says. Verse 14. No, I'm sorry, verse 12. It says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, again, right from that first experience, not only in my presence while I was there with you, but now much more in my absence. Why would he say that? Because the truth of the, the, the true verification of someone's character isn't what they do when they're being watched. It's what they do when they're not being watched. The true quality of a man's work isn't that which is polished on the outside. It is that which is well done that no one else will see. This is what Paul is saying to us. He's saying the very nature and the unadulterated nature of your character in Christ Jesus is evidence that you not only obey when I'm there and you're trying to please me, but after I've gone, you continue to obey because you're here to obey Christ. Isn't that fantastic? Look what it says now. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that makes me go, well, what do you mean I got to work out my, well, it doesn't say work for. It doesn't even say work to keep. 
what to say, to work it out. Well, isn't that exactly what Peter was saying? Make every effort. Work it out. And he says with fear and trembling. Well, why? Because I can lose it? No! He's going to give us the answer. Watch! Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but also much more in my absence. In fact, your character is so great, you work much more in my absence than even when I was present. Continue, there's that word, continue, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now, right there at verse 13, if you want to, or if you're taking notes, write the word why. Why? Because that's really what Paul is saying. What do you mean work it out with it? Well, here's why. It's God who works in you. Look what it says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who works in you. So my working out my salvation with fear and trembling is the idea that I've been invited to make every effort to add to this faith he's given me all these things. And I do so with fear and trembling because it is God, the very person of God, who is working in me. In other words, with reverent awe and recognition of God's presence in my life, his power in my life, and his plan and purpose for my life, I get to join him in the work. Isn't that crazy? So this one who is, has promised to finish the work he's begun works, continues to work, and work continually. And we get to work with him in it, and that's the making every effort to add to these things, these, the, these things to our faith, which when in increasing measure helps us to remember that we've been forgiven of our sins. It reminds us of the mercy of God. It reminds us of the grace of God. It reminds us of the love of God. It reminds us of what I was before. It reminds us of what he's made me to be. It reminds us of the experiences, the experiences we've had. It bolsters us. It gives us strength. It enables us. And all of this by adding to our faith goodness, the nature of Christ, and to that goodness, the word of God, which is the knowledge of who he is the knowledge of what he's said, the knowledge of his promises, the knowledge that he has done this thing, the knowledge that he continues to do this thing, and the knowledge that he is continually doing these things, and the knowledge that I am, have the privilege of joining him in it. Wah! Band get in place, or we're going to miss breakfast. Is this making sense this morning? Mm, mm. Mm. All right, so go to Psalm 19 while the band's getting ready. And this is a beautiful transition to what we're going to do next week. I could not be more excited. And this is to put the two things together, and then next week, I hope, we're going to go to Romans chapter 1 to see where the transition points are. So, you ready? And we're just going to read Psalm 19, which we did last week. But this will tie it together. It says the heavens, God's creation, declare his glory. So the first revelation of God to man is the expanse of the heavens. The majesty of space. The beauty of all that is in it. Right? So he says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. It is so beautiful, so intricate, so amazing, so astounding, this could not be by chance, it must be by plan. This is not just something that morphed out of nothing, but something that was mathematically engineered and placed perfectly in space. Where every star governs, every star governs every star and keeps it all 
moving, and in balance. All of it a mark of God's intelligent design. Mm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, and day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In other words, everyone can see it, be astonished by it, and see God's invisible qualities by what's been made. But he says, as much as this is an expression of my glory, there's something more to be had, something more intimate, something more intentional, something designed perfectly to match not only your eyes and your heart, but now your mind and your soul. Look what it says next. The law of the Lord, the words of God, the scriptures, oh, they're perfect and unchanging, everlasting. Why is that important for us to know? Because as majestic and big and incredibly well-engineered as the universe is, you know, it's gonna, you know where it's coming to? Nothing. It will be destroyed. It'll be gone. If you read Revelation 19 through 21, you will see that God says, mm, there will be no more stars, there will be no more sun, there will be no more night, no more day, because God will be the glory that lights the kingdom of heaven. And we'll be so transfixed on the person of Christ that everything else fades, even the memories of what was. As beautiful as everything that's been made is, it is destined for fire. It's like anything else you use, it performs its purpose. It's enjoyed while you had it, but then it's tossed to the side. So it is with creation. Look what it says now. But his law is perfect. It revives the soul. It does just, doesn't just titillate the heart or cause the imagination to run. This revives the very person you are, the very nature, your very soul. And these statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Creation's not always trustworthy, is it? Have you seen Louisiana in the last 15 years? Can't trust. The, we can trust the power of God, but we can't trust nature itself. And it ebbs, we can trust it less. Look what it goes on to say. But his word is trustworthy, and it makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear, of the, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Isn't it funny how he goes right down each one of our senses, coming off of creation where we use our senses, and then says, now, you think that is great? Let me tell you what my word does for you. That it opens not just the senses of your body, but the senses of your soul. Because now, not only do you see, but you have insight. Not only do you hear, but you're given life and joy to the Spirit. Look what it goes on to say. It says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring. Enduring what? Enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is great re reward the riches of the kingdom. And how shall you have me live, O Lord? Well, who can discern their own errors? So forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. How do I know what sin is? Because God reveals his holiness and righteousness, and anything that I do that is contrary to it is a sin. And God says, no, I will not punish you for your sin in the sense that you will now be condemned. No, you have me in Christ Jesus. 
but I'm going to allow that to rise up and reveal to you those things that are not yet like me, that I want to make like me, that I might work it out with you together in fear and trembling, that you might receive a rich reward, being confident of this, that he who began the work will finish the work, and he continues to do the work, and he does it continually, and you can be confident in this, assured. Going all the way back to the beginning in that first experience. And look forward to the one 